was around But she grew up tall and she grew up right With them Indiana boys on an Indiana night The Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show is proudly brought to you by the Hoosier Basketball Academy. Want to improve your game and be an elite athlete? Hoosier Basketball Academy, located in the heart of Hoosier Hysteria, provides an excellent opportunity for student-athletes to improve their basketball skills. Their goal at Hoosier Basketball Academy is to provide an opportunity for young athletes to reach their full potential and allow them to compete at the highest level. Using their training model, they believe a solid foundation of fundamentals and muscle memory training is critical for the development of elite basketball players. This can only be achieved if you are mentally tough, have a strong work ethic, and are willing to sacrifice countless hours needed to be the best you can be. The Hoosier Basketball Academy offers high-intensity basketball training focusing on small groups and individual attention needed to improve your game, as well as specialized training and drills done at game speed to push you to your limits and improve overall physical conditioning. One of HBA's goals is to improve the skills and abilities of each player trained by focusing on ball handling, proper shooting mechanics, speed, agility, and footwork allowing you to take your game to the next level. This training is for players that are serious about improving their skills. Hard work pays off and gives you the competitive edge in practice that carries over to games against your biggest rivals. In addition to offering training, HBA fields highly competitive travel teams with many teams qualifying for nationals each year. Visit HBAElite.com for more info. Be elite and train to be the best. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I'm your host, Billy Powell. Today it is a pleasure, as it is every time that I talk to somebody from Indiana, especially about the game of basketball, to chat with today, I, I, I don't know where to start, Del Harris, former NBA basketball coach, author of uh, six books, his six books coming out here pretty soon, uh, NBA Coach of the Year, 1994 and 95, uh, and also a native Hoosier. So, Coach Harris, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule to help keep the nostalgia alive and share uh, the memories of Indiana basketball and where you've gotten today. Well, glad to be here uh, with you, Billy. I've heard uh, good things about what you're doing with your program. Well, thank you very much. Coach, uh, back home in Indiana, can you tell us a little bit about where you were born and raised and uh, who introduced you into athletics at a young age? I was born in southern Indiana. Uh, my uh, family actually moved uh, up into southern Indiana in the 1820s, early 1820s, uh, from Kentucky uh, after starting out in uh, Pennsylvania and, and uh, participating in the various wars and such, Revolutionary War and all. And uh, so uh, we have those roots in southern Indiana. My parents graduated from Dale High School in Spencer County, and I ended up coaching there, uh, actually, uh, my second high school job. But I grew up in Plainfield, uh, just outside of uh, Indianapolis, pretty much where the airport is right now, and um, went there all 12 years of school. And obviously graduated from there and as far as uh, my introduction into sports that was my father and it really started more with baseball than basketball 
He went to the 1942 World Series in which the Cardinals beat the Yankees and brought back some Cardinal memorabilia, Stan Musial stuff and so forth, a little old bat and pennant. And I've been a Cardinal fan ever since and even named one of my son's fans. So, um, however, it was not long after that that um, I was able to get a basketball. Now, that was hard to do in uh, 1943-44 because of the war they weren't making any basketballs so I got an old used one uh, from a neighbor who went off to the service and his dad said well my son won't be needing this ball anymore and it had laces on one part of it and a inner tube bladder you know that you had to blow up and everything and when you dribbled the ball you had to be sure not to dribble it on the on the uh leather laces because it'd go right or left so that kind of helped me a little bit learn how to handle the ball but uh so being a hoosier and uh, all that my basketball uh, pretty well took over but i must say in all honesty that uh, basketball and baseball has pretty much been a tie for me i love them both did you play organized basketball before you got the playing field? And once you got the playing field, was it was it an easy uh, move onto the basketball team? Well, I was quite young uh, when we moved there, so uh, I was only three uh, when we moved uh, from Southern Indiana. My dad, uh, this was during the Depression, and uh, my dad uh, was trying to find work, basically, and moved from southern indiana and decided to go to barber school i figured he could always cut some hair and that's what he did uh until he got to where he couldn't see uh well enough anymore to tell the difference between his fingers and somebody's hair so uh that was uh you know in his uh, early 70s so um anyway uh there was no organized uh, type of you know little league or bitty basketball or anything like that in those days uh, particularly in a small town like Plainfield was a couple thousand people at that time maybe 35,000 now but uh, always a small town in my time there And uh, but we did play uh, the Boy Scouts had a program the Odd Fellows had a program uh, we had a park program where we would play other towns parks like Danville and Brownsburg and that sort of thing and we always had games going though we got our own games you know we we knew how to play baseball with anywhere between you know three guys or five guys on a side even by you know different rules and marking off different boundaries and such and of course basketball in itself to playing just on your own as well as with whatever you could get, two on two, three on three, five on five. So we were always playing, but we were seldom on a team up until we got into our teams. What kind of uh, basketball program did Plainfield have back then? Well, all we had uh, was uh, seventh grade. Uh, you start seventh and eighth grade basketball as far as an organized team was concerned, and then on to the high school, of course. Um, so that's what we did. But uh, we played enough basketball that uh, it didn't matter. Uh, we knew how to play. Uh, 
pretty much because that's that's all we did. I mean, we we played uh, baseball in the summer and basketball in the winter, and we scraped the snow off and uh, you know just played. Or if it was raining, that didn't matter. Uh, and uh, I had a basketball goal on our garage. And uh, funny thing, I, this is an aside, but uh, one time when I was coaching the Milwaukee Bucks, my uh, one of the guys was having trouble at the foul line, and he's a black guy. And anyway, uh, we had Jack Sigma, who was leading the league in free throw percentage. And you know, I got on him. I said, "You got to, you know, start. We're bearing down and, and making that free throw." He said, "Yeah, that's, that's not fair. You guys grew up with garages." <laughs> Coach, did you did you uh, did you go watch any high school basketball games before you started high school, or did you travel to watch like the Indianapolis Indians play or anything like that? Absolutely, my dad was uh, such a fan, and uh, I, I went to see the Indians play. We went to St. Louis to see the Cardinals play. Uh, Cincinnati to see the Reds play the Cardinals. Uh, I was in Chicago to see uh, the Cubs play the Cardinals. And uh, as far as basketball, uh, we saw all the high school games. My sister was seven years younger, or older rather than I, and so we started going to games, you know, in the 40s. And uh, I graduated in 1955, but uh, I went to IU basketball games, went to Butler. Uh, every year went to the, the Hoosier Classic, where Butler, Notre Dame, Purdue, and IU would play uh, on equal terms, by the way. And uh, uh, Butler had the great Tony Hinkle as the coach there, and he was able to compete on a uh, 500 basis with Big Ten teams uh, throughout his career. And uh, when the Globetrotters came to town, I, I went to see them. In fact, I was 13 years old, and Dad took me to the Coliseum to um, to see the Globetrotters play the college All-Americans. They uh, for a six-year period they played six. Uh, 16 games uh, of spring after the college season was over against the college All-Americans for real. And the only time they, they had their globetrotter warm-up and then they'd play, you know, serious basketball until the game was out of hand one way or the other. And uh, that particular night, uh, the globetrotters uh, were able to seal the deal early enough that they put on a little show. But the irony of it all is that I never imagined that I would uh, uh, actually get to know uh, Marcus Haynes, who was the great dribbler uh, for uh, the Globetrotters for all those particular years. And um, in fact, we ended up working together uh, with the Texas Legends and the NBA D League uh, as ambassadors and consultants and so forth, vice presidents. and and all of uh, of the uh, D-League team, and I spoke uh, in the eulogy uh, at his funeral just a month ago. Uh, he died at age 83, but uh, what a wonderful man, and uh, what a tremendous uh, basketball player he was, played up until he was about 60. Yeah, my grandfather and I, he used to take me to uh, tons and tons of games at Bush Stadium, and what a history that Bush Stadium, the baseball stadium, has there in Indianapolis. Yeah, three, uh, absolutely. Of course, it was called Victory Field in my day, right? Uh, and it was you know a little different 
they, they've changed it around some, but well, it's great. It's been great for the city, and uh, just uh, you know, it's been a great franchise. So, coach, tell us about getting into Plainfield, freshman, sophomore year. When do you start? To, when does your game start to evolve, and you start to uh, play some uh, varsity minutes there at Plainfield? Well, actually, uh, I really was a pretty good junior high player. As a matter of fact, uh, in the eighth grade, uh, I, I was I was uh, I'd have to say I was a pretty good player. Um, but uh, I injured my knee uh, in the summer and and almost severed the patellar tendon. Oh wow! And uh, we were fortunate enough to get it repaired, but um, I I wasn't really in in top shape to play as a freshman and I, I didn't play much uh, as a freshman and then as a sophomore um, I played on the the uh, B team uh, as we called it in those days reserve team I guess junior varsity you know yeah. we didn't call it that then but um, and I was I, I was okay I, I wasn't anything great by any means I hadn't started really to grow at that point I was uh, about uh, by the time my sophomore year was finished, I'd gotten up to five ten. But I started out uh, as a freshman at five four, and so I was a guard and and all that. But what I did was learn ball skills uh, as being a small player, and that served me better uh, as a junior than I made the team, obviously, and then became a starter. Uh, but we weren't very good. And um, so then, uh, senior year, um, we had gotten a year older, and I grew some more. I was up to 6'2", and uh, would ultimately grow to 6'4". And um, we had a new coach come in. Uh, our old coach was a good guy. He just didn't have much talent to work with. But again, we, we got a little better over the summer. And the new coach, Herod Toon, came in. And uh, we had Paul Bradford originally, and he, he was a very good coach, and he died not long ago, was a wonderful man, and had a great career at Anderson Madison Heights. But uh, in any event, Herod Toon came, and bless him, he's still alive and living in Plainfield. And he was a Hinkle man. He had been uh, the uh, athlete of the year. He played baseball and basketball uh, for Tony Hinkle at Butler. And uh, we ran the Butler system, and we ran it well, and we had a very, very good team. But one of the biggest losses that still sticks with me, uh, you know, after all these years, uh, and I'm 78, so to give you an idea <laughs> how how long it stuck with me, was losing the championship game that Saturday night uh, to Speedway, and uh, we'd had to play four games uh, in that tournament. Um, uh, like Thursday, Friday, and two Saturday, and they only had to play three, and they had a very good team. We had beaten them during the year on their court by a couple of points, and uh, but anyway, we lost that, and we were looking forward for the chance to get our brains beat out by Christmas Addicts, but it <laughs> never happened. <laughs> so, Coach, did, did you have a pretty good baseball game, too, also in high school? Well, yeah, I was Actually, you know, I, I was all conference in both sports, uh, uh, but uh, I was uh, the MVP of the all conference baseball team, uh, and uh, 
I was actually overall, uh, I was a little better baseball player than I was a basketball player ultimately and played baseball till I was 32. I quit playing basketball when I started coaching college at age 27 but uh, and had a, a great time uh, of basketball. I, in fact, speaking of Christmas addicts, I was fortunate enough after I graduated from college to uh, continue to play uh, with the Brownstown Marion K. Vanilla uh, AAU state champions and two of my teammates were uh, 1955 grads of Christmas Addicts uh, All-American Willie Merriweather who's still a lifetime friend and and Bill Scott who passed away a few years ago but was point guard for Butler uh, after graduating from Addicts of course Willie was an All-American at Purdue, and then our uh, another teammate, uh, well, two more teammates were Butler players, Ken Pennington, who's played at Warren Central, and uh, whose grandson, by the way, is Josh McRoberts, an NBA player right now, and uh, Wally Cox, uh, who was from Broad Ripple and uh, was a big scorer for Butler, and uh, we all played on that uh, for two years uh, together uh, on that champion team uh, in the AAU so it was a lot of fun and and uh, but baseball stayed with me a little bit longer and I, I as I said I played until uh, I was 32 and was fortunate enough to play in seven uh, national tournaments uh, at that particular level you know I always it, 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 it doesn't happen on purpose but I always get you guys to mention my high school, which you just did, Broderpool, in every show I have. I don't know how I get to do that, but it is amazing you've kept, you've kept the streak alive by mentioning Broderpool. Well, I'll give you another shot at Broderpool. Um, when I uh, got into the ABA uh, with the Utah Stars in 1975, they only lasted till the end of November. And that was the last year of the ABA, and it was the last month for them. The ABA continued on until the end of that season, but uh, the stars went out of business, so I was stuck out in uh, Utah with uh, four kids, no job, and uh, fortunately had made friends with Jerry Pym, the great coach at uh, Utah University, and he said, well, listen, you know, come and be my, uh, you can be my graduate assistant, uh, we'll say, and uh, I'll find some money to the uh, Boosters Club to pay you $1,000 a month, and uh, and you can use my daughter's car and uh, so forth and so that's what I did I finished that season uh, with uh, Utah University and the first guy that they sent me to go visit was a kid from Broad Ripple and I was supposed to try to talk this guy into coming to the University of Utah but I missed out and I hold that against Mike Woodson forever <laughs> <laughs> well, two shout outs there. That's nice. So, Coach, where, where, uh, what was the atmospheres like in, in the high school basketball games while you were at Plainfield? And, and did you start to get noticed by college scouts? What was it like back then for that area of conversation? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, yes, it, it, it was exciting. Uh, we uh, had not had good teams at Plainfield since the 40s. We, we did have in the mid-40s uh, uh, a, a couple of great players. Uh, Mel Pope, uh, who had a couple of sons that ended up being really good players uh, two or three years behind me. Donnie Pope played at, uh, at uh, Indiana State quite well, and Johnny Pope. But, uh, and 
a, a really good uh, player, uh, Bryant, uh, who uh, was, was uh, is still alive now, and he's 80s and uh, just a, a wonderful player. So, but we didn't have anything going. When Toon came, well, we we ran off our, our first seven straight, I think, something like that. We even beat Ben Davis at Ben Davis, which. Oh, wow. It was a big win for us, hard to do. And uh, but anyway, we ended up, uh, you know, we had a very good team. We tied with Decatur Central winning the conference, and who also had a, a good team in those days. But um, anyway, um, there weren't any, you know, scouting programs like <laughs> Rivals.com or anything <laughs> like that. There's obviously, no .dot com. Uh, so uh, anyway. Uh, I had no idea about playing. You know, I obviously wanted to play college ball, but uh, you know, people didn't come around and see. But when the season was over, the coach Toon came to me and he said, uh, uh, "How would you like to keep playing basketball in college?" I said, "Well, yeah, it's like that." He says, "Well, why would you like to play at Butler?" Said, well, I'd like that. So he says, well, "Let me take you down and talk to Coach Hinkle." So. Anyway, shorten the story. Why Hinkle uh, gave me uh, a scholarship, half and half, uh, half basketball, half baseball, and I was all set to go. Uh, Herb Walter, he was being a student. He had shown me my room and this and that. And and uh, two weeks before school was supposed to start, the coach from Milligan College uh, came by into the house and he told me how much I, you know, he wanted me to come down there and. I had heard all about Milligan uh, because our pastor, uh, Dr. Robert Fife, had left Plainfield to go there to become a faculty member, and he had had these great stories about Milligan, and I don't know, it just seemed, and at that time I was uh, uh, going to be a pastor, and uh, I thought, well, the uh, Lord's telling me that's where I need to go, and that's where I went, and uh, stayed there for four years and um that you know we had a great time there but uh that uh, didn't happen as far as going to butler but I played with those guys later on anyway so that was all good uh, coach yeah let's stop there for a second you um you're an ordained are you an ordained pastor also yes how did that come about well i uh majored in um uh, religion and uh so uh, I became um, an associate uh, pastor. Uh, I was actually uh, the uh, as a sophomore. I was assistant pastor at the campus church, and uh, then uh, the last two years I was assistant pastor at uh, a church outside of the campus, at a small community in Tennessee, and. I was going to continue on that and go to Butler again, by the way, to graduate school, to the seminary there, and I was all set to go there. And again, two weeks, ironically, before school was supposed to start up again, I um, got a call from my major professor at Milligan College. He says, you know, you ought to come down here and, and, and go to work and do something to make some money before you go to grad school. And if you want to do that, I've got a job for you already lined up. You can coach this uh, uh, junior high team just about three or four miles from the school. Well, I would have done about anything that he suggested because I had that kind of confidence in him. And so I 
didn't go to Butler. I went down there and coached uh, King Springs Elementary School. And we had this tremendous team, uh, turned out. We scored over 100 points four times in six-minute quarters. And we uh, beat everybody all around there and so forth. And a lot of publicity about it, as a matter of fact, uh, in the newspapers in Johnson City. And I don't know, I thought, well, this is maybe what I should do. I combined both. And I did that. I came to IU, got my master's degree so that I could actually teach school in Indiana. I didn't qualify to do that otherwise. You had to be a teacher to coach. And so uh, I went to IU, uh, started working on my master's, got you know, the next year the head coaching job at uh, Rochdale High School. And um, ultimately, after one year there, uh, went to Dale, where my parents had gone to school for two years and had really good teams there. Uh, and then to Spencer uh, in uh, Owen County, and we had an excellent team there. And uh, I had a church on the weekends uh, at the Antioch Christian Church and uh, so forth. And But a year later, I get the opportunity to go to Earlham College and, uh, you know, for their nine years and then the rest of the time I've been in the NBA or ABA. Now at uh, at Dale, were you associated with uh, Roger Kaiser or uh, Bob Reinhardt? Any? Well, I'm actually related, uh, distant relative to Bob Reinhardt. Uh, we're connected through two different families, Winkler and Medcalf. And uh, Roger lived across the street from my grandfather, the house my mother was born in, and. So we were childhood friends. We, I would go down there in the summer, and we would play. I'm just a year older than they are. And uh, so uh, I've been lifelong friends with them, and uh, there's never a time that we haven't kind of been connected. And uh, so they're wonderful friends, uh, you know, to have. Coach, did it give you any kind of – did you have to really um... – uh, kind of prey on it before you left the high school game to go to Earlham, or did you feel like that was the right choice for you, or was it uh, something in your stomach that made you go? No, that was my uh, that was my goal when I started coaching basketball. I'd gone to a small college, and I really liked the concept of the small college, uh, the relationships and and so forth, and that was what I wanted to do. I said, boy, I'll coach a while, and high school and then I, I want to coach small college and then you know I'll probably end up selling insurance or something <laughs> or whatever but uh, you know uh, and uh, so that's uh, I was it was just something that I had planned to do and so now while you were at Earlham did the uh, how did the Puerto Rico thing and you going down there how did that uh, uh, pan out or how did that uh, transition well, at Earlham, I was fortunate enough uh, that I was also a, a professor. I became an assistant professor there. Uh, I taught in the classroom uh, two or three different subjects, and one that I taught was theory of coaching. And uh, there were no textbooks in that area. There were some books that had been written, you know, by coaches like Claire B. or uh, ultimately different guy, John Wood and. Uh, uh, so forth, uh, some of the older coaches, but um, I would get magazine articles from um, 
scholastic coach and athletic journal and these books that I could get hold of and, you know, made my own curriculum. And uh, I taught it, uh, you know, nine years. And in the process, I uh, did a lot of writing. I would hand out with any books, so I, I wrote it up. And we mimeographed them. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, you know, I so then... I thought, well, why don't I write um, a book, um, or, or rather a magazine article, and put it in Scholastic Coach, an athletic journal. And so I did that and turned it in, and well, that led to a series of, of articles that I wrote for various publications. And then Parker Publishing of Prentice Hall said, we'd like you to write a book in 1970. So I, I already had written a book. <laughs> I just put my stuff together really and 1971 um, multiple defenses for winning basketball came out and it was very successful it was uh, in the top sales of that nature of book for three straight years and 75 I wrote another book and so forth and um, so in the process Europe and South America in those days were just beginning to really get hungry for basketball and uh, so they were picking up everything they could find to read, and they were coming up to high schools, colleges, uh, pro teams, and going to practices and trying to learn as much basketball as they could. They were really uh, hungry for basketball information. And so I um, uh, got a call from Puerto Rico. I didn't even know they played basketball in Puerto Rico. But they just played baseball. And I turned them down the first year because I was still playing baseball and um i i didn't want to give up playing baseball at that time and uh and fortunately as i saw that year i played uh, for dayton ohio and the uh, national amateur baseball federation and we won a national tournament well the next summer i got a call again and by that time i was 32 years old and i'd been pitching on uh you know shots of uh of, um, oh, uh, what, what, you know, they, they inject in cortisone. your elbow to cortisone and then uh, aspirin, you know. I'd, yeah. I'd swallow those boys and I'd go out and pitch and then I couldn't lift my arm for two days. But um, that next year I, I couldn't play and I got a call again and another team and they said, we want you to come down. So I did and for the next seven summers I went down there and uh, was fortunate enough to uh, I started with a, an expansion team, but ended up getting that team into the playoffs, and and then uh, coaching two other teams that we won the division uh, with both of them, and three straight national championships in um, 1973, four, and five. And I was coaching against several guys from the ABA and NBA who were back in those days working in the summer because nobody made enough money uh, you know what you had to have some kind of summer job if you were a coach or a professional player and uh so one of them tom nasalki who was the head coach of utah stars said uh, how about uh coming to be my assistant coach at uh, utah stars so i did that and like i said we went out of business but he got on coaching uh, scouting for the Milwaukee Bucks, where he had been an assistant previously. The next year, he was hired as head coach of the Houston Rockets and called me up and said, hey, come on down from Utah. Quit trying to sell real estate up there now. And uh, 
be my assistant down here. And I did that. And after three years, he went back to Utah to coach the Utah Jazz when they moved from New Orleans. And I became head coach of the Rockets in 1979. And um, have been, you know, working one way or another in the NBA ever since. Coach, what was so? So, how long were you in Houston? Not, uh, seven years. I uh, was assistant coach three years and head coach uh, four years. And I had uh, was fortunate enough to have the great Moses Malone uh, at Utah and there with the Rockets uh, for my first six years. And he made MVP twice, and particularly my last year, he, he had the best year he ever had—31 a game and, and 14 rebounds and. Uh, and we went to the finals uh, my second year as head coach. We made the playoffs all my first three years. And, um, and uh, we got beat by Larry Bird in his first ever uh, championship. Uh, in fact, uh, here's a little thing historically with uh, uh, Indiana Connections. Uh, I coached uh, Larry against Larry Bird the first NBA game he ever played. That was in Boston in 1979. I coached his first uh, postseason game that he ever played. As we were in the East that particular year, 1979-80, and they beat us uh, in the second round. We eliminated San Antonio in the first round. The next year, Dallas came in, and Dallas and we moved uh, to the West. And lo and behold, played. Uh, we beat the Lakers, the defending champion, in the first round, second round, Kansas City, uh, or San Antonio, third round, Kansas City, and ended up playing Bird again in his first ever championship. So uh, two boys that were actually born in um, Orange County. I was born in Orleans, and uh, he was born in Princeton. Ended up, uh, you know, crossing paths, and uh, I never liked him much either. Uh, <laughs> played in seven seven game series four times uh in my career and came up short every time <laughs> wasn't right wasn't right so uh, my question in houston did, did you did you like the city of houston did you like your um your um your time yeah there? yeah 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 i love it uh stayed living there for 10 years and uh two of my kids and five grandkids still live there and uh yeah we'll always uh always you know care about houston however i'm not in love with their weather <laughs> and uh we much prefer to live in dallas uh where we've been for the last 15 years um coach um coach todrink i don't know if you uh, know joe todrink well i know him pretty well yes yes joe, uh, and, joe and reinhardt and kaiser and i played ball together and Joe and I played baseball together. I brought him up and he, he played uh, with me uh, for Plainfield actually uh, in the state tournament one year and and uh, we finished runner-up and both of us got picked up by the, the, the uh, champion team and we played in the nationals together out in uh, Wichita. So uh, Joe and I have been close friends. Uh, we're bonded by being Cardinal fans, and uh, we we text most Cardinal games uh, one way or another. 
it's funny that you say that because when he told me he was a Cardinals fan, I said, well, I've been a Reds fan all of my life just because the Indianapolis Indians were the farm club for a while. And he said, all he texted back to me was, sorry about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> coach, what was it like? You, you'd coached the high school game in Indiana. You'd coached college. Once you got to the ABA, and of course now you're into the NBA and you're head coach, what was kind of uh, some of the – the, the bigger obstacles you had to overcome with uh, being able to direct and teach? Well, initially, um, you have to be able to earn uh, the confidence somehow or another of the players. In my case, I was uh, fortunate enough to be assistant coach for three years. And when uh, Tom uh, was not retained by uh, the new owner that bought our team, the players uh, campaigned for me to be the head coach. So uh, I was able to, to gain their confidence. Back in those days, there were just two coaches. There was the head coach and the assistant coach. And uh, I coached the big guys and uh, on an individual basis. And Tom coached the small guys on an individual basis. And then we both coached them. But Tom was a very good coach. Uh, don't get me wrong. He, in fact, uh, Tom was uh, coach of the year in the ABA uh, with uh, San Antonio, and he was coach of the year in the NBA our first year together uh, with the Rockets. So uh, he was a very good coach. Uh, and uh, so anyway, you can get the respect of NBA players or anybody in professional uh, work of any kind if they have confidence that you can help them individually or you can help the team or company or whatever corporately to get better. Uh, once they lose confidence that you're helping them get better or the team get better, why it becomes more difficult uh, to coach them. Uh, so and that's why, you know, because of the ups and downs of sports over a period of time and business and everything, that uh, people are let go. Uh, and unless they are very fortunate, like, you know, Jerry Sloan or or Greg Popovich, uh, something to be able to keep a real solid nucleus of great players for a long time to sustain, you know, uh, a winning thing long enough and to have a patient owner. You know, uh, Coach Todrink and I were talking, and I, we were going back and forth, and, and I just made the silly comment that, you know, once he said, we know, I know Coach Harris, and, and I asked for contact information and stuff like that, I just, that I, since I got comfortable with Coach, I decided to say, you know what, you know, he always reminded me of Leslie Nielsen. So, yeah. were you friends with Leslie Nielsen? Do, uh, when was this uh, uh, pointed out yeah, to you, and how, how, how did you run with that? Yeah, yeah, I actually ended up being uh, friends with uh, Leslie, and uh, it uh, in NBA games a lot of times up on a teletron they will uh, have lookalikes, and they'll have this person, that person, whatever, and then some movie person or or political person that they look like, and uh, so it was quite often that uh, they would have whether you know whatever arena that they might be doing that, uh, Leslie and, and myself. And uh, when I was coaching the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, I uh, was appointed uh, as a co-chair of the 
uh, Vince Lombardi Cancer Fund campaign and um, our original uh, movie person uh, advocate and, and co was uh, Bob Hope and Bob only stayed a couple of years which was his uh, way of doing things pump up a program for a couple of years move on and, and uh, help another one and so I was involved with him in two different ones one of the Rockets and one of the, the Bucks but the person that took Bob Hope's place was Leslie and so it was Leslie and I as uh, co-representatives uh, for that uh, program for uh, the cancer clinic and we did PSAs and so forth and uh, we had two events the golf event and the uh, ball in the summer and the winter and uh, so at times in my own town where I was head coach at the uh, uh, golf event there were occasions on which some might come up and say Leslie can I have your autograph so I just signed Leslie I, mean, I didn't want to go you know embarrass them and um, <laughs> So but the good story is that uh, uh, we were playing um, the uh, Bulls of Michael Jordan uh, on a Friday night, and the ball was going to be Saturday night, and Leslie was in town for the ball and to do TV, PSAs, and so forth. And when the game was over, we actually happened to win the game, so it was a great night. And, um the security group brought him down and walked beside me as we were leaving the court to go in underneath the tunnel into the locker room. And I told Leslie, I said, you in there, you know, and I'll stay out here and you act like you're me. And uh, so he, he did. He went in and, you know, told him good game, you know, all that. And, and, and of course, it, they knew who it was. And, <laughs> but, but it was, you know, it's something that I'm sure they all remember. Coach, you're one of the few uh, head basketball coaches that have a SAG card. Is that correct? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if anybody else does or not. Yeah, but I've I've been. Uh, in fact, you know, as time goes by, uh, kids today don't much remember that I coached. Uh, was Kobe's first coach, or Magic Johnson's last coach, or Moses' longest tenured coach, or you know, this or that uh, about coaching, but. They do remember uh, Space Jam. Every generation <laughs> since 1996 has seen Space Jam, Space Jam and probably will uh, for the rest of my life. And um, so I was uh, in uh, an early scene uh, with my team when I was coaching the Lakers uh, in Space Jam and um, been getting checks that diminish in size each quarter, but for the last 20 years. So... Um, that that's been good and then i was fortunate enough to have done some other things like diagnosis murder and in the house and other tv shows and uh, actually did another it's supposed to come out in the spring at 216 uh that's a christian-based movie and and so forth uh, that's uh, for uh, uh young people mainly but uh yeah i've had a lot of fun with it what was it like to work with jerry west well, uh, you know, Jerry and I uh, were friends, very close friends for, for a long time. That's how I ended up coaching coaching there. And uh, uh, it's a long story. But anyway, we worked very closely uh, together uh, for our four years. And uh, we were uh, fortunate that uh, 
when I came there, they were in the lottery. But we won 48 the first year, and then 53, 56, and 61, my four full years. Uh, so, in fact, we were the uh, I'm the only one that actually won more games uh, for four straight years uh, that started with as many as 48. And there have been, I think, eight other coaches win more each year, but nobody started at 48 and, and, and won more successfully. But uh, at that particular time, Jerry started, the, the relationship between him and Jerry Buss started breaking down a little bit, and um, ultimately, you know, he lasted. Uh, I, I was gone after one year, the uh, lockout year, which just turned out to be a real negative for me because we I had the youngest team in the playoffs uh, when we won 61 games. And, uh, but then uh, the lockout kept us from starting up the next year uh, until January, end of January. And I was just kind of an unfortunate thing that uh, Robert Ory came in with a heart murmur and was unable to do the training camp. Rick Fox trained his ankle the first uh, week of uh, the strip training camp, and we only had two weeks of it. Shaq had not played at all uh, since the previous spring and uh, was really out of shape, uh, and I had two weeks to get him in shape, and still he played well uh, for us, and we started out 6-3 and three and beat San Antonio twice, who would end up winning the championship that year, but then we had to play on... Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all on the road, back to back to back, uh, and we lost those games. Uh, the middle game was an overtime, and um, we uh, just, you know, went six and six, and I got back the next day and was fired. So uh, that that was that was tough, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Phil Jackson had already announced how he. Had, he was he was not coaching that year. He had announced how he'd really like to coach Shaq, and uh, so of course then he came in and uh, the next year and um, was allowed to bring in five older guys uh, in their thirties. I didn't have any player in the thirties, and um, he brought in five guys in the thirties and with experience, and went with my young guys of um, Eddie Jones and Kobe and. Uh, Rick and Corey and Shaq and Eldon and uh, with the older guys that he brought in, they were able to win three successive championships. So, uh, but uh, you know that's the NBA life. Coach, we were talking just before we started our conversation that you're getting ready to come out with your sixth book. Can you give us a rundown on your previous five titles and what this new title is about and where they can get your books? Well, all the, the the only ones that are out that are still in print uh, <laughs> are, uh, you know, I, I wrote them all, you know, a long time ago, uh, except the, my 1940, uh, 1994-95 book, Winning Defense, I think possibly still available. I'm not sure about that. Um, uh, but then uh, my 2012 book is definitely uh, available on uh, on Amazon. It's uh, on point. And the other books are, well, one of the books was entitled Playing the Game, and that was a, uh, a youth 
book, a 12 to 15, 16 uh, year old reader book uh, that I wrote in 1984. Uh, and, but again, that was word publishing, but it's not available anymore after all these years. Um, but uh, my uh, the last book on point is uh, Four Steps to a Better Life Team. It's uh, a book of, that uses a lot of sports stories to uh, show how you can have better relationships in life. It's a team-building book. Whether And I give talks to corporations and civic clubs and, and churches and this and that uh, on that basis uh, because I start with sports stories. I make the four points of these steps to better life teams. And then I support my points with scripture where it's appropriate. Uh, it's in the book, it's totally appropriate. And uh, sometimes the civic organizations, I go a little bit lighter on, the, uh, you know, emphasizing the, the scriptures so much, although they know it uh, comes from a, a Christian base. But, um, so then this book that uh, will come out in September is an elaboration of a book I wrote in 1975, which uh, was, the, that book was entitled, um, uh, I think, Coaching Basketball Zone Offenses. It's about 200 pages, uh, I, as I recall, maybe 185 pages of zone offense. It was the first book that I'm aware of that focused just on zone offense. but. Anyway, uh, zone offense still trails all the rest of the various aspects of basketball. And so a friend of mine said uh, not long ago that I ought to rewrite that book, add to it, and so forth, update it. And I, he was, he had, I had worked with him with the national uh, team of Canada where he was uh, being head coach. And I was uh, coaching the Lakers, uh, but we coached the uh, national team of Canada in the 1994 uh, World Games in Toronto, I said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you start in on it, send me something, and then I'll finish it up and we'll do it together. And that's what we've done. Ken Shields and I have uh, written this book entitled um, Attacking the Zone Defenses. And it's about 300 pages is what it looks like it's gonna end up. They're, they're printing it now, uh, but it's not, you know, I haven't seen the final copy yet, so I don't know exactly. I know I gave it 300. I don't know if it'll end up being 290 <laughs> or 310, whatever. You know, it's, I don't know how how it lays out on the page. But um, so it's it's and I it's a great book uh, if I say so myself because he's brilliant uh, and I had some good stuff in there in the first place. But we've also we dedicated it to our close friend Rick Majerus. Oh, very nice. And I have. Uh, I have Rick's main stuff uh, in in a chapter in there, and uh, then I've asked some top coaches to throw in uh, a, a zone set. And so uh, John Calipari, Mike Shashevsky, Bo Ryan, uh, Sean Miller, uh, and Steve Alford. By the way, you've heard of him, I'm sure. <laughs> Another good Hoosier, uh, who's dad's president of the. Indiana coach, high school or Indiana basketball hall of fame. Yes, uh, and it's uh, so. Uh, anyway, they've contributed to it, and I, I think. I mean, I mean, we also we have a section in it that 
uh, is for youth basketball so that uh, dad and stuff, guys that are coaching and have no idea, and they're, they're going against two, three zones all the time in those youth leagues. Uh, it, it's a primer on, you know, how to, uh, you know, attack the two threes, even with young kids, but so that they get an idea that basketball is more than just standing around in a two, three and standing around in a one, three, one offense and passing the ball if somebody jacks it up. And you are correct too. On point and winning defense are both available at Amazon. Cause I bought both of them before I started this interview. Is that right? Yes, sir. Well, how about that? Coach, what do you think about the game of basketball in Indiana today? I know you get together with a lot of the guys from southern Indiana, the, southern, the legends, and you guys chat and talk about it. Do you think the game uh, will ever get the back to the way that it used to be, or uh, do we just learn to accept it, or what are your thoughts? Well, uh, you know, in the years that I've coached basketball, it, it's changed from uh, more of a rural, uh, small-town kind of game. Uh, where you played it in barns and garages and, and uh, even sand lot uh, to an inner city game and big city game and uh, so uh, it's just it's it's different now as far as Indiana basketball you still have some great players there but it, we don't dominate uh, with numbers of players like before there great players are everywhere. Uh, in the country now and uh, so then uh, as far as Indiana basketball is concerned I am a one class guy I mean I looked forward like I said I knew we if we made it to Indianapolis we would get hammered by Chris Pathetics but I still could have said a play against them and you never know I mean Oscar Robertson might have been sick or something that night you know just anything could happen Maybe forgot there was a game. Anything, you know. So uh, we we wanted uh, a chance anyway because uh, we always felt that there, you know, was a Milan, and uh, I witnessed the Milan game. I was there, you know, in 1954. I was a junior, and I was at that game, and so that was just something that um, you know you 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 lived for, and. Uh, It'll never, they'll never do that, and I understand, you know, all the class system and all that. Plainfield has won a state championship, which they never would have done <laughs> under a one class, probably. Probably. Now they think they would have. See, that's the problem. They they think they had the best team uh, when they, you know, won that particular class. They'll never know. Coach, you're in five Hall of Fames. Um, are, are you waiting for that call from the Naismith? Uh, I'm not waiting on anything. I've been nominated before, uh, but, you know, those things happen or don't happen. And, uh, you know, it's, they're always nice, anything like that. But, uh, you know, it means that you were fortunate enough to, to have uh, a lot of good players and uh, to stay around long enough, you know. So, uh, you know, it's no question it's really... Uh, a great honor whoever can can get in there but uh, you know actually one doesn't ever want to underestimate you know the Indiana Hall which is uh, the biggest Hall of Fame um, uh, you know outside of uh, Springfield and they've done a, a wonderful job there and uh, proud to be associated with 
them. So, uh, uh, you know, it's all good. Well, Coach, I know your time is valuable, and I appreciate you spending We ran a little bit long. I appreciate you taking the time with us to uh, help keep the nostalgia alive. I love. I have a passion about basketball in the state of Indiana, and uh, it was fantastic chatting with you, and I'm sure that every, all of our listeners are going to enjoy this conversation. I thank you so much. Well, they're probably, you better get a beeper. They, they're probably all asleep by now. <laughs> well, well, the funny thing is, is next up is Jerry Reynolds. Oh my no! Well, I'm glad I didn't the election, and uh, if he, he may know or he may not, if he, he knows you talk to me, well, he'll know what you're talking about. But he's he says he's from French Lick because he he played at Spring Valley or Spring, you know, where Bird played, and and uh, you know he's a tight friend of Bird and played with Bird and so on and so forth. But he's not from French Lick; he's from Hillham. Hillham has a population of about 40, and I call him the mayor of Hillham. The mayor of Hillham. That's all I ever call him. The mayor of Hillham. That's right. And so he came down to our Southern Indiana meeting uh, for the first time this last month, you know, and I said, was this an election year or something? You're showing up. <laughs> well, he's a great guy. Awesome. Like you, one time, one time, uh, the photographers came around um, at I think we were at uh, we were at uh, one of the NBA uh, one of the uh, NBA coaches meetings or, or just NBA meetings, and some photographer came around. There were three Hoosiers that were head coaches in the NBA, I think the first time ever, it was John McLeod, Jerry, and myself. And they took a picture of us. And before the end of the year, uh, Jerry and John had both been fired. And, and uh, I think a year later, I was. And so we decided we'd never take a picture together again. <laughs> Well, Coach, I'll, I'll make sure to uh, send you all the information on where it's going to air, and you can also, too, if you'd all like. Right. If you'd like, I'll be more than glad to – you can use the, uh, the podcast uh, anywhere you'd like, or if you want to use it for any benefit, you just let me know. I'll send it to you. So. Okay. But uh, I all think right. it, it was very yeah, nice. You might as well send it. Maybe I don't – you know, my kids or somebody might want to hear it. Who knows? Oh yeah, sure. Sure, I'll email you. Email you your address, and I'll go ahead and pop in an envelope and send it to you on a flash drive. And I thank you so much. It was, it was a it was a pleasure uh, chatting okay, with you. Okay, Billy. Well, have fun with it. Take Th- care. Thank you, Coach.